so much. That was beautiful. That, oops, that, that was just gorgeous. See, I, I can't follow it. <laughs> that was a sign from the Lord. Get, it, get out of there. That's perfect. Um, thank you so much for that. Um, as we continue to worship the Lord this morning, um, let's, turn, let's turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to go to 1 Samuel, all the way back in the Old Testament, in chapter 16. As you turn your, to your Bibles, to the Old Testament, um, you're going to remember that Samuel, you remember him, he was a... He was the last judge in Israel before they transitioned into a monarchy. Uh, they wanted a king. You remember that? And, um, but I want you to know something, too. Um, when I read through this passage of Scripture, it sort of takes me back to my adolescent uh, nightmares. Um, uh, I remember back in junior high school when I began to become more socially aware. Do y'all remember those days? So you become a little more socially aware. Those were awkward times, you know, when you became more alert to social cues from your peers and you began noticing the clothes you were wearing, uh, how you styled your hair. I went, I went from a part down the middle, combing it over to the side. Um, I remember parachute pants. You remember those? Um, I hated them. They were ugly then. They're still ugly today. <laughs> Um, if you've got them, just burn them, you know. Um, Nike became popular after Michael Jordan uh, made them famous. After Top Gun, the movie came out, you know what I had to have. I had to have a pair of Ray-Bans. Some of you still have Ray-Bans. Um, you, you know the drill. Levi's over Wrangler, Wrangler over Levi's, depending on who you hung out with. If I walked outside, of, uh, with, outside with my daughter, with Sarah Beth in shorts, wearing a pair of striped knee-high socks like the ones I wore in junior high school, I think Sarah Beth would run as far away from me as she possibly could. Some of you probably still wear tube socks, you know. Don't lie, you're in church. Um, you know, we were so focused on the look, right? The external things. And that's why I love this passage so much. God has a different perspective than the world. And, and what I want to do this morning uh, is I want to read a short passage of Scripture, though I'm going to be covering some ground today that I think and others think is the heart of this narrative about David and about David's life. And there are a few things that I want to point out as you take just a few moments, all right, a few moments today to gaze into your own heart, to think about your life. This is sort of the week we think about our life, right? We're thinking about the things that we're grateful for. You know, we kind of go through the drill. Um, and so I want you to think about your life and, and use this time this morning to test yourself against the Word of God. That's hard to do. That's hard for me to do. And at the end, find refreshment with me in the same Word that points us to the one who rules our hearts. Okay, so follow along with me, chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. Just two verses today. This is God's Word. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely this, the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Thus ends this reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Let's, let's pause for just a moment and let's go to him in prayer. Father, just as we need your spirit to enable us to worship you, we, we need the help of this same spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one who brought a dead man back to life to help apply eternal truths from your word to our hearts, to our lives, even to this dear gathering of believers today. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive the one who speaks, for his sins are so very many. And, Father, may we, may we hear Jesus today, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We all want to be important, don't we? We do. If you just do a little bit of navel-gazing, you'll, you'll, you know that. You can answer that. We all want to be valued. If a fad in, in New Albany, Mississippi started where everyone wore tube socks, I know that there's a group of people here who would make their way to the Dollar General store and you'd pick up a bag. We want to be significant. We want to be noticed. But here's our problem. The way that typically happens, the way that typically plays out is through external things. Each one of us sitting in this sanctuary, we were baptized in the culture of looking good and finding acceptance and importance based on the external. Some of you may not follow the crowd, but you have your own external standards, and if others don't live up to them, you're kind of quick to sort of raise the proverbial eyebrow. We all drink that water. We believe that life is found in what you can see. Unfortunately, we don't understand the damage that this type of stinking thinking does to our hearts. In Samuel chapter 16 is one of the Bible's great heart passages, and it really does reveal to us the, the, the lie of that outside approach to life. So this morning, what I want to do, because I know, I know some of you keep count, I'm going to give you three things today to take home with you to think about this week, all right? So three things that will be helpful for all of us as we seek to live grateful lives, thankful lives, as we seek to live a life of, of integrity before the face of God. The first thing that I want to point out is that David has a heart of God. All right, that's kind of obvious. He has a heart for God. Let me give you a little bit of context. And I love this passage. Absolutely love it. King Saul, he was the first king of Israel. And he doesn't do what he was told to do. He isn't obedient to God's command to wipe out the nation of Amalek. Instead, Saul keeps the pagan king alive uh, when God told him not to. And he also keeps a lot of the livestock, the best of the best for himself when God told him not to. Saul's true heart really comes out in this narrative. It's all about Saul. And you find Samuel there. Samuel is sad. Hannah, Samuel's mother, had prayed years earlier, back, way back in chapter 2, a prayer that looked forward to a time when a good king would rule Israel. Her prayer was prophetic. You know, that one day there would be a true king, the Messiah, who would be honored above all kings. But here we are in this passage. Perhaps Samuel is reflecting on the conversations he had with his mother. We don't know this, but we do know, as we read in chapter 16, that he's mourning the loss of a king that he had anointed. And in the midst of his sadness, God comes to him and he says, Samuel, you need to get up. Get up and go to the house of Jesse. I have someone there 
who will be the next king of Israel. He's my choice. He's not your choice. He's not the people's choice. He's my choice. And so Samuel found himself at Jesse's house. Now, let me ask you something. Use your sanctified imagination, okay? If you were Samuel, who would you look for? In your mind, what does a, what does a king look like? All right, Samuel probably thought God's choice would be obvious. Saul was big. He was strong. He was a stud. And maybe Samuel thought the next king would be studlier, you know. But he was in for a surprise. So there Samuel is. He's sitting at, as Jesse brings his sons in one by one by one by one. Eliab looks promising. He probably has the, the brave heart attributes, maybe. He's looking kingly. You know, left to Samuel, he probably would have picked him. And another national disaster would have occurred. But you and I know, because we know the rest of the story, is that God looks at the heart. The heart of this passage is chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. So what is this all about? What's it about? It is so easy for us, so tempting for us to major on the minors. God isn't interested in what wows the world. The cars we drive, the money we make, the houses we live in, the schools, the colleges we attended, the people we know, or even, even your level of IQ, how smart you are, or how smart you think you are, or how witty you are in social conversations. He may not even be interested in what you think is important. Your years of faithful church attendance, where and how you serve, what denomination you're in, or what denomination you used to be in. Well, here's the point, folks. Sometimes our hearts are so focused on things that don't really matter. We, we major on the minors and we miss the things that are really important to God. We miss those major things. And sometimes, if we're really honest, we get so blinded to what is true and what is real and what really matters to God. And God is saying to Samuel, he said, Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance. Man is obsessed with things that do not have eternal value. Samuel, you are a man of God. You are my main mouthpiece in this time and place in history, but you don't always see people as I see them because I am looking at the heart of man. Ten years ago, there were close to 15 million cosmetic surgeries performed in our country. Now think about that. We've been taught to focus on the external, that our appearance and personal image, our personal brand matters. How you look, how you dress, who you hang out with, look this way, listen to this, the list goes on and on. But that's the world, right? That's the world. That, that doesn't describe us. What well, kind of does sometimes, if you think about it, Christians can get this way too. To be an effective preacher today when you need to wear khaki, you know, you, you need to wear khakis and a cool buttoned-up shirt not tucked in and have a casual delivery style, right? And cool shoes. According to Anne Catherine, you gotta have cool shoes. Yeah. Doesn't really matter how you approach scripture as long as it scratches my itch. You know, we've been taught to get approval by being polished enough or pretty enough or athletic enough or successful enough or socially connected enough. 
And someone, someone may more likely be invited to be your friend if they live in a certain type of house or make a certain income or maybe have a certain type of role in our community. And a lot of life, to be honest with you, is spent trying to earn approval based on things that don't really matter at all. And what the Lord is saying is that these things are not who you really are, believer. They don't define you. Now look, don't get me wrong. God is the giver of all good gifts, but if you look at outward appearance, and if that's the thing that really gets you going in the morning, if the external things in life become the deepest desire of your heart that you grasp for every single day, and you love it, and you listen to it, and it's more important than your character, and it's more important than being holy, and it's more important than what our true king says, then you need to know that God thinks that you're focused on minor things, things that don't matter at all. It isn't too hard to compare differences between Saul and David. One was focused on external things, and his heart was not in the right place. David wanted to be faithful, and his heart was in the right place. And the second thing that I want you to see is that David had a principled heart. So when you flip over to chapter 17, I know I didn't read it, uh, but you begin to see this heart difference play out, don't you? You know this story. It's the famous David and Goliath story. David shows up on the scene, and he hears the defamation of God's holy name by this Philistine giant. And what do you see Saul doing in that, in that chapter? Man, he's fearful. He is laying low. I mean, he is not leading his men. But look, there's a principle in play here. And it takes a, a man or woman after God's own heart to stand for this principle. You see, this skirmish wasn't really an issue of land. Everyone knew that for the Philistines to grow and prosper as a nation, then they had to advance toward the land owned by Israel. They were sort of landlocked, so maybe it was an issue of land for them. You know, skirmishes were frequent, but this was kind of different. This was more about principle for Israel. Goliath curses God. He belittles God's name, and he talks as if his lifeless gods have more power and more authority than the real living God. And at this point in the confrontation, it's, not, it's now not about territory or protecting our fertile land. It's about honor, and it's about truth. God's people were being put down. They were being oppressed, and God's name was being mocked. So what do you see David do in that chapter? He stood on principle. And you know what he says there? He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Can you imagine being in that moment, in that time and place in history? I get chill bumps kind of thinking about it. And so what does he do? He, he steps up because no one else would stand to defend God's name. Long story short, he picks up a slingshot and a few rocks, and what does he do? He takes care of business. This isn't just a story we read to our children and grandchildren. This is a real documented account of an event that really did occur, and it's recorded in the scriptures for our prophet. Do you remember what happened to the house of Eli? He was a judge too, and they didn't honor, he didn't honor God. The house of Eli did not honor God, and God made a leadership change. 
He said, hey, Eli, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who dishonor me, I will disdain. I will lightly esteem them. David spoke for God, and he honored the name of God that day, and he was hailed a hero. And his kudos were more than Saul's. People esteemed him more than Saul. Saul didn't like that. Back in May this year, at FCA's high school graduation, there was a pastor who spoke named Reverend Stet Morgan. He's a PCA pastor. Some of you probably know his story. But a couple of years ago, Stepp was mountain biking down a trail, and he lost control of his bike, and he broke his leg. Long story short, he lost his leg, and he now wears a prosthetic. He shared that story with us on graduation day back in May. On November 25th, you know what happened to me. I fell 20 feet out of a tree, and I'm still recovering. Six months before that, I was in the hospital with an acute case of pancreatitis caused by a gallstone. I had four surgeries in the course of nine months. That was not a good year for Lance Ragsdale. Sometimes God brings difficult trials. And sometimes, man, they seem like giants to us. And some of these giants, they're real people mocking the values given to us by King Jesus, and some are just the realities of living in a broken, fallen world, and life happens, and it's hard. We're often intimidated, and we're fearful of those bellowing giants. Your integrity, it might be challenged every day. You may battle criticism in your own family for being a believer. You may battle ethical issues at work. You may be yoked with an unbeliever on some level at home, at work, somewhere else. There are hundreds of giants that surface daily, but the call today is the same as in David's life, and that is to stand firm, to stand for principle, to work to honor God's name in the midst of the battle. The good news is that the battle belongs to the Lord. It always has and it always will be. Only in Christ will we win the battle for principle. Well, there's a question that should follow that, that, that statement there. And well, why is that? Well, when David was appointed king by Samuel earlier, you know what happened to him? The Spirit of God came upon him. Well, good people, that same spirit that came upon David lives within us too. It lives in you. You belong to him. You're his property. And so he doesn't ask you to win the war. All he wants from us is to to do like young David, to trust him enough to stand for what's right in the eyes of our king. Even if you stand alone or even if you're lying in that hospital bed all by yourself, you keep him first. Because when you do, you're going to discover that you're not exactly alone. He's going to remind you that he has not abdicated his throne. He has not left your life. He has not given up on you. He is still on his throne, and he's still for you, and he's fighting for you. And those of us who know him, we put our trust in him, don't we? And we put our trust in him alone. I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in politicians. We love to to try to do that. We do. Kind of gets us going. But what do we do? We put our trust 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't put my trust in my money. I don't put my trust in myself. I don't put my trust in external things. When all the rest crumbles, my physical abilities give way, all the external things begin to crumble and crash and fall, he'll be there. And as you stand for things that matter to God, the only one who really killed Goliath stands for you too. He's with you. And he's, he's not going to leave you. And he's not going to forsake you. So you be found standing for principle in life's battles as you trust him with your life. But look, there's one more, there's one more thing that I want to share with you today. And, and look, you need to know something. If I would have written this script, you know, this script that God has written for our lives, I just wouldn't have written it this way. But, and this is probably the, my least favorite point of this whole sermon this morning. The last thing I want you to see is a maturing heart. All right, we've got a heart for God, a principled heart, and the third point is a maturing heart. You need to know, as your heart grows more fond of Christ, and as you begin to more and more stand for the values and principles of God, that this active level of faith, this type of faith consistently lived out, is going to bring trouble. But there's purpose behind it all. And you need to know that God will mature your heart. In chapter 16, David is anointed king. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. And for David to be the kind of king that Hannah described way back in chapter 2, he has to have the spirit of God. But what, because the, what happens in chapter 17? You can't do this without the spirit of God living in you. In chapter 17, Goliath happens. The Philistines happen. David's big brother slamming him and giving him a hard time. He's in the family of faith and he's slamming his little brother for standing up for what is good and noble and true. In chapter 18, Saul's jealousy of David's success provokes rage and Saul tries to kill him. And then chapter 19 begins with an assassination plot to kill David. And David runs and he hides in caves and it's a dark wilderness experience for David. I wouldn't have written it that way, you know what I mean? But isn't this the pattern that we see in the scriptures? When the Spirit of God comes upon his people, there is jail and there are difficult times and there are temptations and there's a, there are wilderness experiences. And and there you are in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus was anointed with the Spirit at his baptism. And what does the Father say? He says, you're my child. I'm well pleased. And then what happens in chapter 4? The temptation of Jesus. The wilderness experience. The Spirit comes and the hard times begin. Now I want you to think about this with me for just a second. Think about this with me. We know that God is more interested in the state of our hearts. The Spirit of God isn't after money, power, and fame for us. He doesn't peddle a prosperity gospel. He isn't interested in the external things of God, though he does use the external for his purposes. The Spirit is more concerned about your heart. He's about your character. And guess what? A godly heart almost always grows and matures in the hard experiences of life with the Spirit's help. You think about David's life. He was told in front of his family that he was going to be 
king of Israel. And for the next 15 years, he is running for his life, being chased like a wild dog. He probably wasn't expecting to do that on the day of Samuel's proclamation. He was probably looking at his brother's tongue-in-cheek saying, Hey, I got you now, buddy. You know? Sometimes we think we have life all figured out. But life doesn't turn out like we expect it to sometimes. You know what? I thought I was going to be a marriage and family therapist. You know? But God had other plans. You know, our dreams, they get crushed sometimes. But at the same time, God is at work. He wants my heart. He wants your heart. And through those crushed dreams and shattered goals, he's doing a deeper work inside of us. And he's ripping the idols of our life. He's ripping them out. And he's building you. And he's developing your character. And sometimes your plans and God's plans are going to collide. They will. They're going to collide. And you're going to lose that battle every time because he loves you And he isn't promoting you. He's promoting himself. God never underwrites foolishness. He underwrites his kingdom. And when he does that, when he works to glorify his life and yours, you are always blessed by that. Now, Anne Catherine sometimes makes me watch these romantic comedies. She does. So I know, guys, you're in the same boat sometimes. I know you are. And you probably watched that Will Smith movie, Hitch. Right, just agree with me that you have. Okay. He starts to fall in love with this girl. If you've seen it, you know the story. He takes her to Ellis Isle to show family records of his ancestors coming into the country. And you remember what happens? She's horrified, remembering that one of her ancestors was a serial killer. And what happens, you remember, she melts down and she runs out of the scene and she's crying these big, giant crocodile tears. And it's that ugly cry, you know what I mean? And Hitch looks at the security guard who kind of helped him set up the scene. And he says to the security guard, and he sort of scratches his head, and he said, you know, in my mind, I didn't see this playing out that way. You know, he thought it was going to woo the girl to himself, but instead he just crashed and burned. Sometimes the life we dream up in our head is not going to be the life that we face every day. We're in the wilderness. And God isn't going to give us the things we deem as important because he has better plans for your heart. The Spirit of God causes joy and faithfulness and peace and love and kindness And you know the list goes on and on. And he rips out the things that rot your soul. And he cultivates the soil of your heart to produce good things. And that doesn't feel pleasant in the dark of the night. But we know that the joy comes in the morning. The Lord is working in you. And he is maturing you through your circumstances. And before he brings you to glory... He is using his resources to polish and hone his graces in your life. God is going to work together for the, he's going to work together all those pieces of your lives as believers, folks, ultimately to do us good and to fulfill his purpose in your life. The good that he does 
is to conform us into the image of his son, to make us more like the Lord Jesus. That's his goal in every circumstances of our lives. Do you remember what Psalm 77 verse 19 says? When I read it, I know you're going to recognize it. It says, your way was through the sea. Do you remember that? Your way was through the sea and your path through the great water, yet your footprint was unseen. We don't always see his footprints in the storms, do we? But he's there. If you've got the Spirit of God, he's there. Saul did not have that perspective. And a process of godly change didn't happen to Saul. Saul didn't get better. He grew bitter through the trials. He, grew, he didn't get softer. His wilderness experiences didn't make him into a humble man of God. Instead, he became cold-hearted. How do you get this heart character? How do you become a person after God's own heart? How do you develop a principled heart? How do you cultivate a maturing heart? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that to grow in heart character, you have to look to the one true king to whom David points. You see, David is, all he is, is a road sign pointing us to Jesus. Young David was forgotten by his father, left out in the fields with the sheep. Jesus was forsaken by his father on the cross. David became, he became a great king, but he didn't come close to the greatness of King Jesus. Remember what Samuel said about David? You remember that? Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Christ was not the last name of Jesus. Christ is a title. I know you know that because you're good Presbyterians. And it comes from a Greek word, the word Christos. Christos is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word that we translate Messiah, and they both mean the same thing, anointed one. Samuel knew everything hinged on, is this the anointed one? Is this the Christ? And so today, ladies and gentlemen, we look to him. Hebrews chapter, chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's the Christian life. How do we do that? By fixing our eyes on him. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And he goes on to say, consider him. Think about him, meditate on him, worship him, focus on him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's the maturing part. Folks, God does not look at man like we look at each other. His gaze falls to the heart of man. And when we're standing before him one day, he's going to look directly into our heart to see if he's there if he's been working. God calls people out of the world, people like you and me, and he, and he works in the heart that they might stand for him, that we might seek his fame rather than our own. And he's using people like us who are being changed daily by his grace and by his spirit to stand for him in a culture that isn't for him, in a culture that opposes him. And sometimes those enemies come from unexpected places, even the church, where both the wheat and the tare grow together. But his calling is exactly the same. same stand for principle. Stand firm for the things of God. And as we exercise our faith daily, we can take comfort 
and we can receive strength knowing that God will win the battles for us and we will be changed. We're going to be made better and better as we look to the Christ, the anointed one who calls sinful, broken, weak people to himself. By looking to him, we become more like him, even as we pray. Father, we give you praise this morning because you are at work in the hearts of your people. You are at work changing us through the circumstances of our day that we might become principled people. And you are maturing us. You're making us better and better. Father, we have so much to be grateful for because you are at work in our lives. We pray that we would continue to focus on you, our risen Savior. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.